everyone. Um, I know there's a number of guests here today, so I wanted to point out the, the gold insert in your service folder. If that's something that you can make use of during the, the message today to follow along, and also encourage you to take it home if you remember to do that. Uh, there's a Bible study on the back side that goes along with our message um, for today. So I mentioned that we're in the last week of this series on time, and as we get going here in the last week, I, I wanted to bring you back to the main principle that we took a look at in the first week. If you recall, if you were here, we had talked about how sometimes we live kind of in view of something coming in the future, that if there's a vacation coming, you spend months kind of living in view of that coming vacation, and it helps encourage you, makes you happy, you do some planning, you live each day in view of something coming. Uh, that might be that way with a graduation or a, um, uh, the end of uh, school again, like a graduation, a wedding we talked about. So in our first message, Moses taught us to say this prayer. And I've begun to try to make it a part of my prayer life. Basically it was this, Lord, teach me to number my days aright. That means... Lord, teach me to number my days, not just in any way, but to number my days in the right way. And here's the right way. That we live today, this moment, this day, this hour, in view of something coming. Like a countdown to heaven. A countdown to Jesus coming back. That we don't just view our time today in the context of birth to death. Unconnected, disconnected to so many other things, but instead that we remember that our life on this earth, when it comes to God's economy, because he's from everlasting to everlasting we talked about, is like our, our earthly life, like 15 minutes short. But it's not depressing. What it is, it's invigorating. It reminds us that while our earthly life is only 15 minutes, our eternity through Jesus lasts forever. And so let's use the 15 minutes that we have right now, not selfishly, but for him. Renewed purpose. Number our days. As we begin this last week, I, I kind of want to take you back to your childhood, or if you're a kid right now, just kind of think about right now. Um, there's this phrase, this Thing that kids and sometimes adults say, but especially kids, every kid in the history of the world has said this at one time or another, and likely more times than they can count. And they say this phrase, you said this phrase, in instances like this, your big brother just got a brand new bike for his birthday, and then when it came time for your birthday as the little brother, you got a brand new bike too, but it happened to be his old bike that was kind of cleaned up a little bit and handed down to you, lucky you, the younger brother. Um, kids have said this, when everyone else in the neighborhood has a bedtime of 9 o'clock, mom, and the bloomers have to go to bed at 8 o'clock. Kids say this when their brother's chore list seems to be a whole lot smaller than theirs. They say it when they're gathered around the, a table for a birthday party, and adults do this too, all right? And it just so happens, you know, quick of the draw or just, just accidentally happened that the, the piece of cake that you got happened to be half the size of everyone else's piece of cake. 
Still as an adult, that bothers me, all right? <laughs> and kids over the centuries and adults have said this. They've said what? It's not... Right, and then what happens? Parents of all generations look right back at their kids, right, at that very same moment and say, life's not fair, right? See, this happened in your house too, didn't it? It happened to all of us. Now, here's the ironic part. We think that we're really concerned about fairness and evenness, right? But we're not really concerned about fairness and evenness. You know why? I know this. Because we don't say it's not fair, or we only say it when we have the smallest piece of cake. We only complain it's not fair when we're the ones that have to go to bed an hour early, right? When you and four others were going for the new position, or the new job, or whatever it might be, and you come home, you got the job, you come home to the family that night or whatever, and you say, I can't believe it. Four qualified people, I'm the one who got the job. Oh, that just isn't fair. We would never say that, right? When good things happen to us, when we're the one who didn't get gypped, so to speak, then, then we're like, praise God, goodness of his grace, you know? What a blessing. You see, life is uneven. It's not always the same. It, it just will not be. There are different circumstances. There's the same God, the same heaven, but your earthly life, different circumstances. There will never be an even distribution of intellect or gifts or finances or even time. There are going to be some people who just have more musical talent than you do. And some of us just got gypped, all right, so to speak. There are just going to be some people who have more giftedness and athletic prowess. They just run faster, throw farther, more coordinated. There, there are some people who um, just have this, just seem to have more of a sense of humor or more intelligence, it seems, or, or more financial blessings or um, more... Uh, Blessings when it comes to people skills. They, these things just will never be even. So what a, the question is, what do we do about that? Because you've been there. You've felt that. Not just as a kid at the birthday party. You felt it as an adult. And there's two things we could do. A lot of people, if they feel like they've gotten the short end of the stick, they spend a lot of their time resentful. And it may not be years, it may be days, it may be an hour, but we waste time being jealous or upset over how we don't have what those people have. We, we waste time in the present, and we think things like, well, my life would be wonderful too if I had that job, or if I had those opportunities, or if I went to that school or was born into that family. I mean, of course they're happy. Look at what they have or what they get. It's not fair. Have you ever wasted time focusing too much on others and what they've been given? I know I have sometimes. So today, as we close this series, Jesus wants to teach us, and he's going to teach us through a parable. 
If you don't know what a parable is, the best way to describe it, it's a fictitious story Jesus would tell that has a spiritual point to it. And and in this section of Matthew, Jesus was uh, near the end of his ministry, and he was really teaching the disciples to look ahead because very soon Jesus would be leaving them. He would be dying, rising, and then ascending into heaven. And so he wanted to prepare the disciples for that time frame between when he ascended into heaven and when he came back on the last day. Does that sound familiar to our situation? <laughs> and so he, he taught them and told them this parable from Matthew chapter 25. We're going to go through it uh, kind of slowly so that I can explain things as we go. We begin with verse 14. Again, that is, there were other parables he was telling in the context of this section. It, the end of the world and, and that time in between, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another servant one talent, each according to his ability. And then he, the man, went on his journey. This seems uh, you know, really odd to us living in this time of world history, but back then this wasn't totally uncommon. Um, there weren't planes and cars, obviously, so when people traveled, they might be gone for weeks, months, even at times a year or two. And so a rich person had a couple different options. He could go down to the uh, area U-Haul and rent a big old trailer and hook it to his donkey, um, or he would entrust his trusted servants to take care of some of his stuff while he was gone. Now, in this scenario, in this parable, Jesus talks about entrusting a talent. We think talents, we think America's got talent, right? Singing and dancing. Here, it says a talent of money. It was really a weight a talent was about 75 pounds. So one talent was worth, 75 pounds of gold, was worth about 20 years worth of wages. One talent. In that sense, five talents, do the math, would be 100 years of wages. So even the guy that got one talent, it might seem somewhat to him unfair, but he was entrusted with hundreds of thousands Dollars, maybe even million dollars in, in our currency today. Verse 16, the, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work, gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent, 75 pounds of gold, went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. How would you feel if you uh, got together with your financial advisor, you gave them a certain amount of money, probably not 75 pounds of gold, but, uh, you know, let's say $1,000, okay? And you ask them to invest it for you. You come back a year later to see how things are going, and he says, hey, just wait a second. And he walks out of the office. You look out the window of his office, and you see him in the back digging something out of the ground, okay? And he brings up your money. Okay? You'd be a little upset, right? You entrusted this to this person to take care of, and what they did was basically nothing. Verses 19 to 21. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. Now, the master returns. In the imagery of this parable, what Jesus is getting at is that someday Jesus will return, okay, from heaven. He will come back and we, his servants, will be in front of him. And in this parable, one of the servants who had been given the five talents, the master says, you've been faithful with five talents, with a few things. <laughs> and you're thinking, a few things? Millions of dollars? Again, to this master, it was a few things. That's how much the master has. He entrusts five talents, and to him it's a few things. The master says, what? Does he commend the fact that he made a lot of money? It's connected. But that's not what he said. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with what I've given you. And now I'm going to give you even more. Let me, let me talk about that special reward that this servant received. The greatest truth of the Bible, the message that I hope never, ever gets old. Some days it means more than others because of life circumstances, but I pray it means a lot every day, is the message of salvation by grace. That a little child who's done nothing really, right, yet, can come to a baptismal font because Jesus died and rose 2,000 years ago, it's as good as if Landon was already in heaven. And that's your story. That through faith, that heaven is given to us as a free gift. And then during those times that we fail, we can be absolutely sure that that changes nothing through faith in Jesus. That he's forgiven us for those times. Those times where we feel uneasy, we can be at peace knowing that we are God's children because it's all about him and nothing about us. When tragedies happen, like a 25-year-old lady, seminary wife, who uh, just passed away this past week, and that she would be able to close her eyes and, and, and face that imminent death and yet be totally at peace and be a witness to thousands of people on Facebook of her faith because she knew that when she closes her eyes here, that she will open them in a place much, much better. That heaven is her home. The message of the Bible is that it's not about me. Grace and Jesus has won salvation for us. Now, with that great, great news that I want you to have at the center of your heart, the Bible also does talk about the fact that there are rewards in heaven for faithful believers. Um, here's another passage in Matthew that talks about this, Matthew 16, among others in the Bible. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Now, there's a lot more 
about these special rewards that we don't know than what we do know, okay? The Bible doesn't tell us a lot of specifics about this. And the other thing which is true is that not for one moment will you ever feel gypped in heaven, right? Oh, they got a few more rewards than I... It won't even be on our mind. So if this type of reward is mentioned in the Bible, why does God even mention it without giving us more details about it? You want to know why? Here's why. That God is teaching us that while salvation is a free gift, your life still matters. That while you need to do nothing, zero, to get to heaven because he's done it all, he does not want us to use that as an excuse to kind of mail it in for 80 years. That our lives matter and that what we do with what God has entrusted to us, he cares about that. It's important to him. That faithfulness is important to him. Now, the story of the second servant is basically the same as, as the first. We'll read those verses, verse 22. Then the man with the two talents came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then, then we get to the, the third servant. And as you listen to what he says, I want you to listen for how he kind of almost blames the master. Verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. What, what the third servant is saying, you know, you're a hard businessman kind of cutthroat, winner-take-all type of mentality. I mean, everyone knows it. And besides, not only was I afraid, but I mean, what can you expect me to do with one talent? It's 20, 20 years worth of wages, okay? One talent, what am I going to do? He had two, he had five, he kind of gypped me. The third servant is upset, not because he's afraid of the master, the master is going to call his bluff. He was frustrated with how the master gypped him. The master calls his bluff. So I was afraid, went out, and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. There's probably still dirt crumbling off it. His master replied, You wicked, that is, faithless, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Do you think I'm a hard master? Well, if that's really the case, well then, at least have put the money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. But <laughs> you and I know, third servant, that's not really the issue. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant, not only was he faithless, he also had no faith. 
throw them outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That third servant was entrusted with something, and it wasn't as much or what exactly he wanted, but that's not what the master was looking for. He just wanted him to be faithful with it. You know, a lot of times we think of sin as doing something horrible, right? But just as often, sin or disappointing God is doing nothing at all. And sometimes, as God's entrusted us with gifts and talents, we've found ourselves in moments, in seasons, maybe it's just a day, maybe it's longer than that, not doing what we could because we were so focused on what others have, or so resentful, so jealous of the fact that I'm not in that situation, or have those opportunities, or I have this disability, or whatever it might be. And I'm not saying that those things are not difficult. What I am saying is that we're wasting our time if we're so focused on those things. That instead, God calls us to be faithful. See, here's the thing. Not every one of us may be entrusted with five talents. But you've all been entrusted with something. And if you don't believe me from this parable, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, after talking about different talents or gifts, they, those gifts, are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to a few people. He gives them to your neighbors. He gives them to each one. Gifts. Just as he determines. Just as he sees best. God determines what is best. It's his stuff anyway, right? The master gets to decide how he distributes it, and it won't be absolutely even or fair, but he gives us what he sees best and knows is best for us. And then he's just called us to be faithful with it, to use it, to serve him at home, at work, at school, to let God be seen through how we use that which he's given to us. So you've been blessed Here's a gift you have right now. Time. Talked about it this whole series. And I don't know, your time, my time might be a day, it might be a year, it might be 50 years. I don't know. He doesn't give it evenly. But it's a gift to be faithful with right now. He's given you the blessing of financial resources. And, you know, there's kids at school that got more than you do. And there's people at work that have more and, than you do and, you know, get used to it. It's okay. God decides those things. Let's just be faithful with what he's given us. There's always going to be someone better at what you're best at. Always. But you know what's not the case? You are uniquely gifted in all the people who were ever created, each one of us, each one of you are uniquely gifted. Your combination of gifts and skills and situation and time and personality, there's no one like you. 
And now God says, here, I've given you five talents, two talents, one talent. It doesn't really matter. Just be faithful. Use your time to use your gifts to God's glory. Now, as you think about that, and as you think about what that means for you, as we close here, I, I want to show you a, a, a Christian man. I'm not even going to try to say his name. I tried last night, and I messed it up. But um, I want you to see how, how he kind of came to grips with this in his life. It's so hard to be strong when people constantly say, you're not good enough, you, you know, go away, you know, we don't want anything to do with you. Nick, you're a nobody. Nick, you can't do this. Nick, you can't do that. Nick, 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 Nick. In life, if you don't know the truth, then you can't be free because then you'll believe that the lies are the truth. But once we realize that when we read the Word of God and you know the truth of who you are, I am not a man without arms and legs. I'm a... I am a child of God. I am forgiven of my sins. I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm nothing but a servant of the Most High God. This is not about Nick. It's not about Nick's capacity and capability to become this conqueror. I am nothing. I'm nothing. God, though, lives in me, and I now live in His strength. And whatever Jesus conquered, I conquer. I believe if God doesn't give you a miracle, you are a miracle of God for somebody else's salvation. And I thank God that he didn't answer my prayer when I was begging him for arms and legs at age eight. Because guess what? Because I have no arms and no legs, he's using me all around the world. And we've seen so far, approximately, uh, this is conservative, 200,000 souls come to Jesus Christ for the very first time in the last six, seven years. And what would you rather? Would you rather have arms and legs, Nick, here on earth and no arms? No. Whatever his will is. Because I'd rather have no arms and no legs temporarily here on earth to be able to reach someone else for Jesus Christ and then spend eternity with them there. Maybe a man with no arms and no legs and the world would look at him and think, you know what, that's a, that's a guy who didn't get five talents. He's a guy who got a half a talent maybe. And yet, instead of spending his whole life dwelling or being resentful, what has he done? Faithfully using it. Your story is not his. But what is the same is that you've been entrusted with something. Two arms and two legs to start. And now, in the outpouring of God's grace, in the response to his amazing love for us through Jesus, we get to faithfully use that which he's given to us during the time of our life. Let's pray.